I wonder, when God calls your name, what do you do? Often when we pray, perhaps most of the time, it seems as though we start things off. Holy one, Father God, merciful God. And then we offer our praise or confess our sins or make our requests. We initiate the conversation. But what about when God calls your name? Listen. Halfway between the ancient cities of Shechem, where Abraham worshipped, and Bethel, where Jacob worshipped, was the small town of Shiloh, where Joshua divided the land among the tribes of Israel. It was in Shiloh that the Israelites raised the tent of meeting, the tabernacle of God, one final time. The tabernacle had traveled with the Israelites all through the long years since they had left Egypt, from Mount Sinai in the south, through all their desert wanderings, across the Jordan River, and into the Promised Land. And in all those years, the tabernacle had been the resting place of the Ark of the Covenant, the place where God resided with his people. And now that they were settling in the land that God had given them, they raised that tabernacle tent one final time to make a final permanent resting place for the ark. And they raised it in Shiloh. Hundreds of years later, the tabernacle still stood in Shiloh when Eli was the priest presiding over the people's worship of God. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were very few visions, but that was about to change. Eli the priest presided over the tabernacle. He oversaw the people's worship of God. He wasn't the only priest. There were others, all of them descendants of Aaron from the tribe of Levi, including Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas. But they were evil. Though they served God's people as priests, they disrespected the people and they dishonored God with their forceful and unfaithful behavior. And Eli was aware of what his sons were doing and he chastised them, but he did nothing to make them stop their sinful disobedience. Now Eli had become old and his eyes had gotten so weak that he could barely see. And so a young boy who lived at the tabernacle assisted him with his duties. The boy's name was Samuel and he had lived at the tabernacle serving God from the time he was three years old. And by now he was eight, maybe nine or 10. Well, one night Eli went into the courtyard of the tabernacle to tend to the lamp of God. The lamp had to burn all through the night. It couldn't be allowed to burn out before the sun rose. So Eli made sure the lamp was lit and that there was enough oil to last through the night. And then he went to his bed in his usual place and he lay down to sleep. Samuel also went to his bed in the tabernacle near the place where the ark of God's presence was. And late that same night, Samuel heard a voice. It called his name. Samuel, 
Immediately, Samuel jumped out of bed. Eli must need his help. Was it the lamp? Was the lamp of the Lord going out? But as he ran to Eli, Samuel could tell that the lamp was still burning. And so he called out to Eli, here I am, you called. But old Eli rolled over in his bed, looked blearily at Samuel and said, I didn't call you. You must have been dreaming. Go back to bed. So Samuel returned to his bed, closed his eyes, tried to sleep. And the voice called his name again, Samuel. So he jumped out of bed and again, he ran to Eli and he said, here I am, you called me. But again, Eli said, no child, I did not call you. Go back to bed. So Samuel returned to his bed. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. He had served in the tabernacle, served God, but he didn't really know the Lord. Remember, not many visions. God's word was rare. The word of the Lord had never been revealed to Samuel. So it was understandable that he thought it was Eli calling his name in the night. Don't you wonder why Eli didn't realize that it was God's voice calling Samuel? Because of course, that's who it was. So Samuel went back to bed and when he lay down, the same voice, God's voice, called his name a third time, Samuel. And again, Samuel ran to Eli. Now, Eli came fully awake. Finally, Eli realized what was happening. Finally, he knew that it must be God calling Samuel's name. So this time, Eli said to Samuel, go lie down. And if he calls, say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. So once again, young Samuel went back to his bed. He lay down and he waited to see if the voice would come again. Lying there in the dark, alone, listening for a voice he didn't know, heart pounding, questions racing in his mind, the blanket pulled up to his chin in case he had to hide. Then the Lord God came and stood there, calling as before, Samuel, Samuel. When God calls your name, What do you do? Duck under the blanket to hide? Or do you answer? Samuel sat up in his bed and said, speak for your servant is listening. And now the story gets difficult because the message that God spoke to Samuel in the tabernacle that night was a hard one. It was a message of judgment against Eli's family because of his son's disobedience and Eli's own failure to put a stop to it. When God calls your name and tells you something that is difficult to hear, what do you do? The next morning when the sun rose, Samuel got up went out into the courtyard of the tabernacle, opened the tabernacle doors as he did every morning. But he was afraid to encounter Eli, afraid to tell Eli what God had said to him. 
But still, when Eli called his name, Samuel said, here I am. And he told Eli everything that the Lord had said to him. When God calls your name and his message is convicting, what do you do? Samuel delivered the message. What will you do? Now, hundreds of years before Samuel was born, before there was a tabernacle or even an ark, an Egyptian prince who had been born a Hebrew fled for his life, and he ended up in Midian, a desert land north of the Red Sea. He was known as Moses, which means drawn out, because his adoptive mother, the Egyptian princess, had pulled him out of the Nile River when he was a baby. This Moses married a Midianite woman and went to work tending his father-in-law's sheep. He led the flock to the far side of the desert near Mount Horeb. And as he scanned the horizon for danger, he saw flames. Off in the distance, a bush was on fire. Now, oddly enough, this didn't really seem to alarm Moses at first. Perhaps fire wasn't all that uncommon a sight in the desert, or maybe there just wasn't enough vegetation and he expected it would burn itself out. It wasn't until Moses realized, after watching for a while, that the bush wasn't burning up, that he began to pay attention. The bush was aflame, but its leaves remained green. And that was when Moses thought, This is unexpected. Why isn't the bush burning? And he went closer to get a better look. And as he approached, a voice called his name. Moses, Moses. When God calls your name in the midst of totally unexpected circumstances, maybe even unbelievable circumstances, what do you do? I imagine that Moses might have looked around thinking that maybe one of his father-in-law's hired hands had arrived to help. But even if he'd done that, he would have quickly realized he was the only person around for miles. So he called back to the voice, here I am. And the voice, God's voice, of course, came from the flames in the bush. He told Moses to remove his sandals. He was standing on holy ground. And then God gave Moses a task. God told Moses to return to Egypt and bring God's suffering people out. A job Moses did not want and one which he felt ill-equipped to handle. What did Moses do when God called his name? He argued. I I don't speak very well. They'll never listen to me. I don't even know who you are that's sending me on this trip. But God countered all of those arguments and in the end, Moses returned to Egypt and led the greatest rescue operation in human history. But still, when God calls your name and asks you to take on a task that you do not have the skills or experience to handle, What do you do? Moses led God's people. What will you do? 
centuries later, back in Israel, just to the southeast of Jerusalem and barely two miles away from it was the village of Bethany, the home of two sisters and a brother. These three siblings, Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, had developed a great friendship with a young rabbi named Jesus. And he often stopped at Martha's home and stayed there when his journeys brought him into the Jerusalem area. On one of these occasions, Martha welcomed Jesus into her home, but it was Mary who drew Jesus over to the fire, gave him a place to sit, and then dropped to the floor at his feet to hear what he had to say. It didn't matter to her if it was a word about the kingdom of God or a tale about his disciples' latest foibles. She just wanted to hear everything he had to say. She just wanted to be with him and spend time with him. Meanwhile, Martha was up and down, checking on vegetables, bringing in laundry, laying the table. And I don't know, maybe it was a Friday and all the preparations for the meal and an overnight guest had to be finished before sundown when Sabbath would begin. But whatever it was, the more Martha buzzed around making preparations, the more frustrated she became with her sister. It wasn't fair, Martha fumed. Just because it was her house, did that mean she had to be the one to do everything? Why did she have to miss out on the reunion with Jesus while Mary was allowed to just sit around doing nothing? And so finally, Martha crossed the open room to where Jesus was and she spoke to him. She said, Lord, don't you care that Mary has left me to do everything myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, Jesus said. You're distracted by so many things. And there's only one thing that matters. And Mary has chosen it and I'm not gonna take it away from her. When God calls your name and refuses to justify your choices, what do you do? We don't know what Martha did. The story doesn't tell us. It's the most obvious wondering question of all. I wonder what Martha did. But when God comes into your life, into your very own living room, speaks directly to you, calls you by name, and asks you to put aside your busyness and your priorities to simply sit with him, what will you do? We've been talking about prayer the last few Sundays, and we've been looking to scripture, even though only one of the stories that we've looked at was actually a prayer. All of the rest, including the ones I'm telling today, are conversations between God and some of his people. Time spent talking with God, being with God. A few weeks ago, Chad challenged us all to spend an hour a day with Jesus. I wonder how that's going. He didn't want us to be listening to sermon podcasts or reading some Christian author's latest book. That doesn't count. You just need to be with Jesus like Mary was. There is a place in Western New York that is my soul's home on this earth. And if I close my eyes right now, I can sit on the second floor porch in a white wicker rocking chair 
with a good book. And I can actually hear children laughing as they ride their bikes across the brick path. I can look into the open air amphitheater, which is just 10 feet from the house where I'm staying, and I can see dancers rehearsing on the stage. I can hear the bell tower at the lake chime the hour. I am there. I am whole and all is well. And when I want to sit with Jesus and hear what he has to say, sometimes I close my eyes and I sit on that porch and I invite him to come and sit with me. And I hear the screen door squeak open behind me and then slam shut with a bang. And he takes the seat next to me and we talk. Or sometimes just sit together. Get yourself a porch or a park or a riverbank or a bike path or a cubicle or a box. Find your place. And if it's someplace you can actually go every day, so much the better. But if it's not, use your imagination. Be there in your heart and ask Jesus to sit with you there. Ask him about the Bible verse you just read. What does he want you to know? What does he want you to do? And then listen. There's one more story I wanna tell you from the Gospel of John. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and she saw that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. So she ran to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one that Jesus loved, and she said, they've, they've taken the Lord's body out of the tomb. I don't know where they put it. And so Peter and the other disciple ran to the tomb to see for themselves what Mary was talking about. And after they had looked in the tomb and seen that it was empty with just the burial linen lying there, they went back to their homes. But Mary remained at the tomb crying. And as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb again and she saw two angels in white sitting where Jesus' body had been. And they asked her, woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said. I don't know where they've put him. And then she turned away from them, not really knowing who they were or understanding what they were doing there. And when she turned, she saw someone else, another man, someone she didn't recognize though it was someone she knew. And this man too asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who are you looking for? And thinking he was the gardener, Mary said, sir, if you're the one who's carried him away and taken his body, tell me where it is so I can go and get him. And Jesus said to her, Mary, just one time he spoke her name. Her eyes were opened, her grief snuffed out, and she turned to him and she cried, Rabboni! And she would have flung herself into his arms had he not said, wait, not yet, for I must return to my father. But when you are so desperate, so heartbroken, 
and so without hope that you can't even recognize who your friends are. And then God speaks your name. What will you do? The tomb is empty. Jesus is risen. The curtain in the temple is torn. And we can run into Jesus' presence anytime we want. He is calling your name. What will you do? Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. <laughs>